Hi, I'm Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Lynn Kenny. Lynn is a pediatric psychologist and the author of The Family Coach Method. Lynn's latest book, co-authored with Wendy Young, is called Bloom, Helping Children Blossom. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hey, Annie. Great to see you. Well, literally, I've never seen you. We've just connected on Twitter, and I'm delighted that you're here. I want to first thank you for being here and also to congratulate you on your beautiful book, Bloom, Helping Children Blossom. You know, I'm a gardener, and I'm all about nurturing things and watching them grow and blossom. And so I was intrigued by the title, and the book really is lovely to look at. So I wanted you first to tell me, um, what is this method all about? Yeah, so thank you so much. And, you know, children are like flowers that grow in the garden. I mean, some grow as roses and some grow as zinnias. And I wrote the book with Wendy Young. And we basically what we did, what we did was we took uh, 25 years of all of the language that we actually use in clinical settings when we're helping families to learn how to skillfully teach their children instead of punishing them. So the Bloom philosophy is that when your child, quote unquote, misbehaves, they're showing you that they have a skill deficit, Annie. They need new words. They need new actions. And so in Bloom, we literally wrote the sentences you could say for 10 different situations. Wow. This is is very empowering for parents. And I'm sure that a kid's response to this kind of approach is totally different. You know, I wrote a blog not too long ago called, um, you know better than that. Or do you, <laughs> with the idea that if the kids knew better, they would do better, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what Ross Green says in his book. And we all, you know, we all, all of us experts, we share the same philosophy. And that is that teaching and education is actually what makes more skillful children. Punishment and shaming and devaluing does not work. I'm not sure why in our society we still use it so much. Uh, but parents are catching on there. They're really resonating with your work and with the bloom. You know, moms will send me little messages. You know, the other day, you know, my child X, and instead of saying, you know, what's going on or why did you do that or you're in time out, I responded, how can I help you? It looks like you're needing something. Right. And, of course, it just opened, the child opens like a flower and says, oh, yeah, mommy, you know, help me with this. It's, it's really amazing, and it seems very intuitive, but I also know that when we parents are in a stressful situation, we get our buttons pushed, especially with tweens and teens who are testing us all the time, excuse me, <clears throat> it seems to me that it's harder for us to remember to go to our teaching place rather than our punitive place. So what tips do you have for parents in that area? Well, you know, I'm the mother of two teens right now, so I actually have... <laughs> I know, and, and I started to really... Annie... I've wrapped my arms around these teenagers and they're all their friends. I can't even tell you, parenting a teen is really hard, but you can really love it. And I think the first thing that you've got to do is not take what they do personally. Oh, yes. Okay, you know, let's, that's worth repeating. Yeah. Don't take what they do personally, even if it's directed at you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes they just seem downright mean and you kind of, you kind of get that... <gasps> feeling, but you have to be realizing that their brains are totally reorganizing. Their bodies are flooded with hormones. They feel moody often. Even the normal, healthy teenager gets moody. So what you have to do is ride the mood like it's a wave 
and just come, you know, just be the water. And so when the child basically is the rock, you just flow around them. You don't take it personally. And you ask yourself, what is my teenager needing right now, Annie? Are they needing space? Are they needing, are they needing a hug? Are they needing some protein? Are they needing to get outside? So if we can stop being judgmental and thinking that we have to control and manage our teenagers and just kind of be the water and flow with them, the, the connection is extraordinary. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment here. I totally get what you're saying. Be the water. I got it. But sometimes the water feels really angry. <laughs> the, water, the water wants to erode the rock. Not yeah. flow over it. It wants to push it and and impact it in in very powerful ways, and not just flow over and take the time to say, "Rock, what do you need?" <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you for some as a practical tip for a parent when they're in that mode and the cognitive part of their brain is saying, "I've read Lynn's book. I really want to be more um, responsive to my child right now, but gosh, I feel like throttling her for what she just said to me." I know. Well, I mean, I, you know, this is so funny because I would do exactly what you just did. I, I, I'm really, I could laugh so hard and so loud right now because you've just been really funny. And so I think to use humor. Okay. So first, if you're connected enough with your teenager that when you use humor, it doesn't feel sarcastic, then you can use humor a lot. And you can literally, you can literally, as an example, talk in the third person and be like, I would just like to throttle her. I'm feeling like I just want to strangle her. You know, you can be humorous. You know, sometimes uh, we have a joke in our car. I drive a lot of children to and from school. I'm the mother who drives at 11 o'clock at night. And I have a jo an internal joke where, with all the kids in the car, where I talk about what their T-shirt would be saying. And it's funny. So if they get in and they're just raining on me, I call it raining on you when they're just wailing on you, you know, mom, you didn't do this and you're late for this. And, you know, I told you to drop off the little ones before you picked up the big ones. Cause I got 17 big ones. Then you just comment, just joke with them. Oh, so you're wearing the, you know, I'm grumpy t-shirt or you're wearing the step back, babe, or you're wearing the get off my planet t-shirt. So just, I don't know if you agree with me, Annie, but I find that when you're connected, you can just be funny. Um, you have to have um, an awareness, yeah. a separation from your stress response to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. And these reminders are great. And we all need so many reminders during the day because, you know, stuff happens. We get our buttons pushed. That's part of being human as well. You know, I, I was thinking about my teaching is often for kids who, who email me and you know, they've gotten themselves into a terrible pickle on in the real world or online with friends because of conflict and peer peer pressure, what I call peer approval addiction, their willingness to do whatever it takes to fit in. And as a result, their choices are not always so kind, compassionate, or even very thoughtful. They are thoughtless. And I, I know also that they need constant reminders that your choices matter. How, how does the Bloom Method help teenagers who have this part of their brain that's not quite synced up yet about planning ahead um, to, to really step back so that they can make healthy choices? Well, first, I think that's a really brilliant question, and it takes a lot of thinking on the part of the parent. And what uh, just, just, just as it happens, what I've been focusing on with the teenagers with whom I work is 
What is your footprint? What footprint are you leaving in the sand as you become an adult? So your footprint involves, Annie, everything from who you date to how you interact with your teachers at school to how you treat your siblings at home. If you're leaving a footprint, what, what is that footprint made of? And where is it going to take you? Because the thing about being a teenager is that your teenagers are really very stuck right in the moment. The intensity of their feelings and the intensity of, you know, whatever it is, the text or the boyfriend's phone call leaves them like in this state of, um, of high alert in the moment all the time. So if you can help them see that their life is a highway and they're leaving these or a beach and they're leaving these footprints in the sand, then they can, in a non-judgmental way, be more reflective on what they say, what they do, and where it's leading them. Wow. What they say, what they do, and where it's leading them. That's brilliant. And I love that image because, I mean, a beach is kind of a really peaceful thing to imagine, to imagine your footprints, and then you have to tread carefully, right? Before I step down, I have to think... Right. You know, what am I stepping on? What what impression will I be leaving? That's great. I love that. And, I, and that's true for parents as well, too. I agree. And I have a beautiful example that I just witnessed that you're going to really love. Um, because we chat in our little teen world a little bit about the impact of their behavior on other people, the other day somebody in my car was tweeting. And I try to, not to interact. I tell mothers there are three stages of parenting. One is that you're leading everything. You're in charge of, you know, you're, we're going to dance now, we're going to this. Then the next stage is you're taking them everywhere, <laughs> right? And the next stage is you're a passive observer. So you're, you hopefully have given them enough skills to be ethical and moral and compassionate. And now, so fascinatingly, a teen is in my car tweeting, and she says to the other teens, um, she, she starts to construct her sentence. I'm writing it like this. Do you think I should say it like this? Because she wanted to be funny, and it was funny. But when you tweet, a lot of people who don't even know you, Annie, see your tweets. So you can't tweet in such a – tweeting is not such a personal thing that only your two best friends see it. And I thought that the ability of this girl – to have the self-observation skills, to be checking in with her friends about how the message was going to be received was inspiring. That is a great example of someone who has self-awareness. And, and before you hit update or send or reply, you, you pause for a moment. You know, that, that idea that um, you've, you've got the ability to instantly respond to everything, but you don't need to use it instantly. Pushing the pause button is the biggest secret of teen dumb. Well, you know, because you write about teens more than I do, but that, that ability, I call it, I call it that here there is an impulse or a need and there, there is a behavior or an action. And in between there is this circle of delay. And in this circle of delay, you're allowed to metabolize and think, all the things that we just talked about. How will this be received? Is this what I really want to say? Do I want to respond now or should I respond later? And it applies to your earlier question, Annie, because I did, really didn't answer when the mother is just, you know, or the father is just like, you know, wanting to punch the kid out. You have to manage your own stress sometimes by being honest and saying, I'm not receiving this moment very well, or those words really 
hurt my feelings. I need to take a breath right now and respond to this later on. I think it's totally cool to say all of that out loud. I think so too, because I think it's wonderful modeling for the child, for the mm-hmm. teenager to say, okay, mom's about to lose it. You know? um, dad, dad has enough wherewithal to realize that what he says right now is probably not going to be really helpful in this situation. Wow. That's, that's something I'm taking note of. Um, I have a pause button too. And, and my parents have just shown me what it's like to push it. And then when we come back after we've taken that breather and talk to our kid, it's going to make a world of difference and they'll see it and we will see it too. But I, I even, you know, you just infused humor into a very serious thing. The very serious thing is I could say things to you right now which, which are mean and unhelpful. And then, so you said, you know, the things that are going to come out of dad's mouth right now really are not suitable or they're not helpful or they may not even be funny. So guess what? I'm going to put those words back in my mouth and we're going to talk about this later. We'll talk about <laughs> so this later. Infusing the humor um, children, teenagers love that. They really do. They go, you know what? I, I go around all the time saying what a nerd my parent is, but actually my mom or dad is pretty cool. Okay. Well, we only have a couple more minutes together. This really flew. (laughs) And, um, I want to ask a really tough question now because I get this from parents a lot. What can I do when my teens won't listen to me? Yeah. Well, the first thing I do is go to your blog, in all honesty. <laughs> if a parent has a tough teen question, I say, go to, go to Annie Fox's blog. Okay, so the thing about listening is there's, a, there's this, listening is, um, it, like I spend about half an hour in my six-hour talk talking about listening because when parents tell you, Annie, that my child doesn't listen, what they usually are saying, my child doesn't do as they're told. So the first thing I do with parents is I really separate out. How do you know that your child is present? How do you know that your child is listening? How do you know that you're sending a message in a way your child can hear? That is one whole dialogue. Wait, wait, hold on a second. How do you know you're sending a message in a way that your child can hear? Tell me more about that. Well, a lot of times we use our tone or our bodies um, communicating um, disfavor and sometimes even contempt. And so when we are wanting our children to not only listen but also respond by acting as we're requesting, we have to use a tone and body language uh, that doesn't raise the defensive brain. In, in my other book, Family Coach Method, I call it the caveman. You have to use non-defensive communication techniques so that the caveman doesn't raise his club and say, heck with you, I am totally not cleaning my room. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, if you've got the furrowed brow and you've got a tone in your voice that I'm not saying you have to be Pollyannish. You just have to like, like, um, as an example, you know, you, your child says to you, um, my friends are all going to get their belly buttons pierced today. Can I go? Mm-hmm. And you're like, of course you can go. Of course. And they say, well, I want to do it too, but they don't say it that nicely. Uh, well, I want to do it too. And then you want to go, but we've had this conversation 15 times. What the heck? And you want to like jump on them and attack them because you've already been here before. But being here before Annie with a teenager is normal. You have to go over the same thing a hundred times. So I'll give you an example of the tone, right? Yeah. <laughs> tone is, I can hear, I can hear that getting your belly button pierced is really important to you. And I know that you want to do that. So hearing no is going to be hard. 
but this is about the 21st time we've talked about this. And I'm really sorry to say that the answer is still no, babe. Yeah. And, and I'd really appreciate it if we don't have this conversation anymore, <laughs> but if you, if you want to, we can do that. <laughs> exactly. So you see, the thing is that teen, yeah, I agree with you. You know, I see things. I'm so happy I found you, Annie, because, well, first of all, I'm just starting to raise teens. You've already have, but the thing is that you also write that, you know, talking to a teen is like playing tennis. The ball is coming back. So don't be surprised. The ball is coming back. What are you going to say next time? How are you going to respond? Just communicate in a way that's not contemptuous, that's not sarcastic, that ends up leading your child one step further down the road to ethical, compassionate living. Yeah, and we do that by being ethical with them, always respectful, compassionate. They need to know that we get, it's not easy being them. No, I know. Just saying that to them because they'll never believe that you get them. Yeah. Um, so the neighbor down the street might get them. The younger 22-year-old may get them, but they're not going to really generally believe that their parent gets them. So we have to just kind of just empathize with, God, I, you know, it must be really hard to be in your shoes. And sometimes I do feel like a really mean parent. And I, I'm sorry that it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. Now, do you want to go make cookies? <laughs> Cookies always work, especially if there's chocolate involved. Exactly. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much, Lynn, for this opportunity to talk with you and to learn more about, about Bloom. Can you, Before we sign off, can you tell us where our listeners can find out more about the work that you do? Yeah, you can just go to my website. I've got hundreds of pages of free content, printables, postables, downloadables. Uh, it's just my name, L-Y-N-N-E-K-E-N-N-E-Y.com. Lynncanny.com. Okay, we will check it out. Thanks again, Lynn, and I'll see you on Twitter. All right, bye, Annie. Have a lovely day. You too. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And tune in next week for another podcast. Until then, happy parenting. <laughs>